Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, joined as always by Mr. Zach Bartle. Zach, what's going on, man? Oh, man, Mr. Bartles is my father. You can call me Reverend Bartles. <laughs> um, let me tell you what's going on. A, I'm really well rested and I feel great, just like you. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and B, I just found out that my debut novel uh, with HarperCollins Publishing, yeah. Playing Saint, the ebook is on sale for 99 cents, and the thing is like, ha, rising up through the paid Kindle store uh, ranks, and I think it would be a super fun experiment, don't you, if our listeners went over and paid 99 cents and read my book. I agree. I definitely think they should. 99 cents, guys. You can't beat that. Get over there and pick that thing up. Self-promo. That's right. Hey, whatever works, man. We, we, we love promoting everything that you do, so let's <laughs> rock it. <laughs> um, and to Zach's earlier comment, we were just uh, making a sly joke. I called him up, and uh, he was like, dude – you sound so down. And I'm like, I am exhausted. My <laughs> wife's uh, younger brother graduated from high school and we had like, I don't know, 20 some of us staying in one house and we were staying up till all hours, getting very little sleep. And then yesterday, uh, so uh, Monday morning, we were up till like one or two in the morning and then my wife and I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning so that we could get on the road and get home. Um, so, you know, by the time we got home, we were just both so exhausted. And then I had to get up and teach again today and telling Zach end of the year, you know, get all the kids just, uh, craziness and, uh, everything going on there. It's like, we're done. We don't have to do anything. It's like, no, 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 no. You still have four more class days, like teaching days. Like we still go to school until next Friday. I can still, still flunk have... you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. You don't realize like how I'm trying to impress on these kids. Like your grades still matter. You could still get <laughs> zeros on the tests that you have. Um, so yeah, but they're just at the point where they just don't care and they need to. They really need to. Um, that sounds bad, Nathan, but it sounds better than what I had assumed, um, which was that your dog died and then you got a new dog and then that dog like dug up the old dog and then died. Like, <laughs> so I'm you're thinking like all this actually horrible, right. yeah. stressful. Yeah, you're thinking all this horrible stuff's been going on. And it's like, no, just busy weekend and, you know came down, you know, 20 some people. I'm sure I came down with some court, sort of sinus cold thing. So dealing with that, but dude, enough about me. Let's talk about mission aware because, you know, at Christmas time, I was promoting Christmas at Valentine's day. I was promoting Valentine's day. Really every day is the season for mission aware and every opportunity is a great opportunity to pick up some of Mission Aware's cool products. Um, you know, we had that whole snafu where, uh, you know, Mission Aware was doing that great giveaway and then I um, <clears throat> screwed up. And uh, yeah, we had that snafu. <laughs> well, it was a snap you. Uh, fair enough. Uh, when I say we, I was thinking me and Jeff because I'm still not clear who the miscommunication was through. So I'm going to kind of leave that a little loose there. Um, the royal <laughs> that's right. The royal we. <laughs> um, but Jeff has all those names. So those prizes should be going out to all of you lovely people who left uh, remarks for us on our iTunes page. So 
Um, you know, check out Mission Aware. Great products. Um, you know, Zach, you've mentioned the five solas a ton on here. All those great products that they have. Um, I actually think I convinced our Bible teacher at school to pick up the uh, Romans poster. So nice. I think he's going to pick that up and put that on his bulletin board and have that there. So good stuff from Mission Aware. Check them out. Um, don't want to uh, belabor this any longer because I'm really excited for the guests that we have. Um, Mr. Uh, Evan Davids joining us today wrote a book, Christianity, Christianity No Longer Makes Any Sense, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but before we get started, uh, Evan, I want you to talk to us a little bit about yourself, friends, family. Um, and I have, I have a burning question, actually, um, that we haven't talked about. So I'm, that's going to kind of be the first thing after you intro yourself and talk a little bit about what you do and all that stuff. Um, so uh, Evan, take it away. Okay. Hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, let's see. I mean, uh, for our purposes, I'm basically just a guy who has uh, thought a lot about Christianity and uh, in the end did not think it made sense or is true. Um, I can back up and, and give you some more bullet points there. But what were some of the, uh, the, the bio bullet points you were looking yeah, just, for just you know bio friends family you know what you do for a living where you know <laughs> yeah. all that crazy stuff i mean we'll we'll get yes. into you know we'll get into the nuances of um, yeah do, the book you and know all i that, taught but. middle do you, do you teach middle school is that what i heard i do yeah middle school science okay i yeah i taught middle school for a year and then uh-huh. i went up to high school but um yeah so uh man that's uh that's tough work yeah it was my first year teaching and uh yeah, two kids under two, and it was uh, it was rough. But um, yeah, so I've taught for a while. Uh, right now, I'm not. I kind of took a break, and I was had some stuff I was doing on the side. I have a business where I sell online, do some e-commerce, uh, mostly selling through Amazon, and I uh, do some stock trading. And so right now, I'm working at home. It's re- been really nice, but I'm probably going to um, get back into teaching here pretty soon. Okay. You know, sub a little bit right now. But uh, yeah, I'm doing. So- I did uh, my credential is in social studies. Oh wow, nice, nice. Uh, friends and family. Let's see. Um, trying to think what's noteworthy. So one one thing that's noteworthy: friends and family. My wife is a Christian, so that that kind of comes into my story. Okay. Um. Uh, let's see. I mean, I, I don't want to bore you with too many personal details. Um, maybe I'll, I'll try to go back. Um, I guess I guess my story, as far as this is concerned, is. Uh, Pretty pretty early on, um, I just had trouble uh, just taking existence for granted. So I, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? And that that was just a question that that was crying out for answers. And so that sort of pulled me towards belief in God and religion. And I, um, you know, I grew up around in a pretty secular world still still do you know my my family or my my yeah my family and my uh, friends are all pretty secular so i wasn't really that exposed to christianity I, I kind of always assumed they had the answers because growing up in the west that's just kind of what you assume you see christian churches not buddhist temples and and other things so mm-hmm. um yeah i guess fast forward once i once i had the time to actually look into it um i just i was a little disappointed and i i i was surprised at a lot of stuff and I, it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't find a coherent theology to put together. Um, and then as I mentioned earlier, my, uh, 
the girlfriend I had who would become my wife, uh, was a Christian and her family was, was, uh, you know, pretty evangelical. And so that kind of put a little more pressure on me to really figure it out. And, um, I did, um, go to seminary. I quit my job that I was doing and I went to a liberal seminary for a year. Um, I left after a year just because I couldn't really justify spending the money, uh, doing this with, I, I wasn't really looking for a, a job at the end of it. Um, so I had some formal training, but mostly I've just kind of studied it on my own. And, um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a nutshell version. Okay. Well, let, let me ask you something, Evan. How- I got a question for you a minute real quick. Uh, okay. Evan, what, what, yeah. what are you drinking over there? I, I keep hearing the, the Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just a little, little magic juice here. It's nothing. It's like uh, LaCroix. With some oh, ice in it. Yeah, sorry I thought about it was going to be interesting. I thought it was going to be maybe a mixed drink of some kind, but no, it's uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, like a, Detroit, what, yeah. what if if you if if like flavored water had a sad like <laughs> yeah. stepchild and and yeah, all right, never mind. Let's not bash Lacroix. Yeah, hipsters everywhere will get angry. <laughs> we're we're looking to get them as a sponsor, Zach, so we can't bash them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let, let me ask you something, Evan. So, um, yeah. I've, I've actually, I was wondering about this and we never really, um, talked in our, in our correspondence, but, um, yeah. how did you get, uh, our contact information? These go to 11 contact information. Like what made yeah. you reach out to us? Um, like we've had, we've had, um, a friend of mine who's an agnostic he's been on before, but like there was, you know, there was a connection here, contact there. Um, then we had another gentleman on who's Muslim, um, Faras, who um, came on, and uh, again, but that was like a contact from a friend. I, you know, I got it just kind of a blind email from you, just hey, you know, I wrote this book. Would you mind reading the book and then um, getting in touch with me if you wanted to, you know, talk about the perspective from an atheist? And you know, I. Um, took the book and, you know, um, passed it on to, um, my partner, Zach. And we were like, yeah, you know, let's go ahead and, and have you on and we can kind of talk to you about some things more conversational format. And, you know, we're going to get to, um, some questions that we have for you. You're going to get to some questions that you have for us. Um, and just, again, keep it more of a conversational feel. And I think that'll actually even be a little more interesting than a formal debate. But but yeah. just tell me, like, how did you, you know, how did you kind of go through the process of, you know, contacting us and hearing about yeah, us and all that? That's funny. Yeah. So I had the uh, the bright idea of um, writing a book for some reason. And, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the process. And it, it just feels good to get your thoughts down as clearly as you can. Um but I didn't really have an angle. I didn't know what to do once I, once I got it out. Um, so, yeah, I wrote the book, and and then I, well, what do I do now? I, I and I'm still kind of in that boat, you know. I wrote, it, I finished it about a year ago, and I haven't been that actively involved in it. But um, at that point, when I, so I contacted you guys a while ago, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. This and, was uh, uh, this was, I think it was back before um, Christmas, even. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was. So yeah, I was just here with a with a book that I wrote, and I said, okay, what do I do now? Uh, maybe try to get on podcasts. So mm-hmm. I just I just started searching around on iTunes and and uh, throughout the net, you know, I'd click on a podcast, and then it, it recommends related podcasts. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, somehow I came across your podcast, and uh, I listened to an episode or two. I said, yeah, you know what? Throw them an email. And uh, that's about it. Sweet. Well, we feel honored. I feel honored. Oh. And, um, you know, appreciate you reaching out. Um, Zach, I'm going to go ahead and um, I want to start with you. And I think what we'll do is we'll kind of um, just go around um, and then just each, you know, each one of us will get an opportunity to just kind of ask a question. So, Zach, we'll start with you, give you an opportunity to throw a question out there. Um, and then Evan will jump to you and then I'll um, I'll go ahead and ask a question afterwards and, you know, just kind of talk about some of these things and discuss. We'll see. We'll see how many we get through, you know, kind of uh, just informal, but um, we'll see how many of these things get answered today. So, cool. Zach, uh, take it away. All right, man. I, I'm just wondering uh, what I mean when you when you set out to do this. You you say you didn't exactly know what to do after you'd finished the book, mm-hmm. um, but I mean a ton of books have been written in this space already, uh, mm-hmm. and there are some that are fairly prominent. There are a million that are kind of, um, you know, lower list, small publisher, self published, and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, generally you need to find a hole in the scholarship or a, a niche that hasn't been touched. And this, you know, a, a primer of, of, of sorts mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, the alleged deficiencies in Christianity is, is anything but. So I, I'm wondering if, like, did something give rise in your life? Was it, was it the fact that you were married to a Christian or, or, or you know, I mean, like, what, what caused you to go through all this once you decided <laughs> Christianity didn't really make sense to you? I mean, yeah. like, I, I've looked into uh, any number of things that don't make sense to me and, and rejected them out of hand, but I've never devoted, you know, a couple of years to a writing about them and promoting that writing. I'm just curious if there's a, uh, a backstory to the actual impetus of putting it all down in a, in an organized way. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I mean, like I said, so I'm already, I was already selling stuff on Amazon. So that I think that did kind of spark the idea. It's like, well, you know, if you can find an original product and put it on Amazon, it's, it's a great service. You have, you can get direct to the, to the consumers. Um, so that sparked it. I thought, you know, I was thinking, yeah, I could just do a quick like ebook and put it out there. Why not? And it, you know, I kind of enjoy the process. And then once I started, I started digging myself deeper and, and needing to read more books and it took longer than I expected. But I, like I said, I was enjoying the process. So, um, you know, apart from that, like, I, I guess it's just, you know, after you've spent a lot of time thinking about something, it's just, and you, you disagree with a lot of things and, and you have free market of ideas. I, I'm just kind of throwing my two cents in the ring to uh, mix metaphors, I guess. And, uh, you know, if anyone happens to find it, then uh, maybe I'll get some feedback and, and see why, uh, um, you know, things that seem so clear to me are not to other people. So I just think it's kind of interesting to throw my ideas out there and, and uh, see what happens. You're saying that it's less your, – your goal is less to – cause people to think like you and more to spark dialogue or am I putting words? I guess. I mean, obviously I think I'm right. (laughs) Right. Otherwise I'd have other views. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are Christian things about Christianity that, that I, I think are not healthy overall. And, and yeah, I'd like, I wouldn't mind changing minds, but uh, you know, I don't have like huge hopes for my book. I mean, obviously it's not taking the world by storm, but, um, maybe after this podcast, Dude, don't don't sarcastically throw that out there. No, I was serious there. Frankly, <laughs> there are there are at least dozens of people listening right now. <laughs> nice, yeah, one or two anyway. 
Um, let me. Uh, so, Evan, let me go ahead and throw it over to you Hello. real quick. Give you an opportunity to, um, you know, uh, throw out a question for us to answer, um, and give okay. an opportunity for us to answer. Okay, real quick. Let me. I, I remembered one more bit of your question about. You know, everything's kind of been been done before. I feel like what my book did, like what gaps it filled in in counterapologetics is sort of dealing with the fall um, and trying to figure out um, what people, how people are preserving Adam and Eve in today's uh, culture where we have, you know, the predominant scientific view and, and they don't seem to fit. So I've, that's always been a huge hang up, but I kind of wanted to dig in and see, well, how this seems like a, a showstopper right here. How are people continuing on with that? And then I've always thought hell is just not um, under the microscope enough. So that, I guess those are a couple things that I, I felt had not been done enough. I mean, I'm sure they, they are somewhere. I yeah. just, um, I, those are things I, that bothered me. I got you. I, I would suggest that those, both of those are being done to death, not in your circles of, of skeptics and, and right. non-believers, but actually in, within liberal Christianity. Um, True. I mean, I I'm a, sure you've I, heard of Rob Bell. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like basically classical Protestant liberalism has been yeah. uh, attacking the notion of Adam and Eve and a, and a literal fall for 110 years. Um, you know, Schleiermacher right. on through. So I think uh, the difference now is that evangelicals are doing it. Um, more conservative circles are, are sort of trying to harmonize the fall with evolution. And and that that is I did whether we consider them liberal or in the middle or I don't know uh, people who are re- retaining the the trying to keep a traditional theology together so that yeah those are the books that I came across mostly mm-hmm. but I, I I didn't see anybody doing it well hmm. um, interesting yeah so should I go on uh, let me see you yeah. want a question from me yeah okay um, why don't we start light maybe talk about hell just kind of ease into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah go I, ahead okay i mean th- this is this is something that one of, probably the first thing that really shocked me when i started looking into into christianity um never-ending utter misery and torment for people who don't embrace christianity mm-hmm. um you know so sort of hell is the the default where people are just on the road i think norman geisler said we're born on the road to hell um and so people who have had no say in their being born are automatically deserving of being punished for eternity for being how they inevitably are. And just disclaimer, I mean, I don't feel like I can talk about this honestly without being kind of blunt. So if I sound a little abrasive, it's just I don't, I don't think I could overstate what we're talking about with eternal conscious torment. Um, you know, after 500 trillion years of, of suffering that's only just the beginning. You have an eternity left to go. And so I mean, this, this kind of knocked me over. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think it just seems so outrageous um, that it gave me huge pause in, in looking at this. Um, so, I don't know. What's my question? Am I being dramatic or uh, is, <laughs> is eternal conscious torment not that bad? Uh, how do you deal with this? I would suggest that uh, it, I mean it is that bad. Uh, when you read Jesus' words about about hell, they're they're never consoling. They're always uh, warning about judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know when you get to a, a, an issue like hell, is a you've got to you've got to recognize it's it's tertiary, um, not the central thing that it feels like often. And I think I, I think one of the 
if, if I can kind of critique your book, I didn't read the whole thing. I read about a third of it and I skimmed the uh-huh. rest and it was, that's not an insult. It's just, that's you okay. know, my, my time uh, yeah. that I had available in the last week um, is that it's, it's often, it's always from kind of the perspective uh, of a human trying to make things make sense in our minds with our presuppositions um, rather than saying, well, hold on, let's try on some other presuppositions. And, and it's hard for me to even get involved in like a, uh, even an informal kind of debate uh, being, uh, I'm, I'm a presuppositionalist, which is a, I don't know if you got into it, your liberal seminary uh, apologetical method and stuff, but uh, that rather than an evidentialist, um, the, the assumption that, I can come to faith and say, well, this is the, this is the only way the world really makes sense. Uh, but all that to say, I mean, it's, it's hard to address uh, hell without acknowledging that it's going to seem unfair from a human point of view, sitting in the driver's seat of you know, the, the human soul. We go to Romans and we find in Romans 1 that everybody, according to the scriptures, everybody has uh, innate knowledge of God simply by observing what's around them, the heavens, the creation. From that, we can tell that, that uh, certain things about God, that, that uh, he is a, a divine nature and he's an eternal spirit, uh, and, and we can know enough to be without excuse. And then it tells us that the reason that we kind of suppress, and not I would say kind of, that's the actual word, suppress and distort and, and uh, sort of, push down and twist our understanding of these things is because we have an agenda and that's to make our own way, be our own God, set our own rules, make our own path. Um, which, I mean, we'd point back to the, the fall as the beginning of that. Uh, and, and I, I know that you're very familiar with that from, from the book. Uh, and you know, when, once you say in order to understand some of these things, you have to recognize, uh, that, natural man has a self-imposed impediment and an agenda that is set against understanding. It doesn't want to understand it, but wants to critique it and, and call out against God. I mean, Roman nine, uh, Romans 9, we read about uh, the, the kind of, Paul does this thing in Romans where he's always, uh, it's kind of an annoying thing when your friends do it, where they're like, uh, ask a question and then answer it. Like, uh, you know, like, are the Beatles the best band ever? Yes. Is Abbey Road their best album? No. Um, but when Paul does it, uh, it's not that annoying. And that's, he kind of anticipates objections and he asks them and then he answers them. And in one, in one section in Romans nine, he, he basically says, how can God then find fault? Which is kind of what I think you're saying, you know, if, if God created us, uh, and people are born already, uh, under the, the curse of sin that came through Adam uh, forget the. I mean, there there are those you know in certain Christian traditions who don't hold to original sin. They'd say everyone has sinned, and apart from that, they'd be okay. Uh, but accepting original sin, how is that fair? Or how could God do that without being, um, you know, morally at fault? And to that, Paul basically says, "Who are you, O man, to answer back to God?" In Romans nine twenty, uh, will what is molded say to the molder, or will the clay say to the potter? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? So the, the idea that we can kind of sit back in the, the armchair theologian philosopher backseat and, and critique the Almighty, it seems like a no-brainer to someone who's coming at it from a very human point of view, but from somebody who's coming at it 
with a presupposition um, that they're testing that, to see if it, if it holds water, that God is who he says he is in the scriptures and that they are truly self-revelation, true self-revelation of a divine being, um, we have that rebuke. And I'm sure to you it seems like a very sneaky dodge. Uh, and, I mean, that's just going to be where we're coming from two very different places. Uh, Nathan, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to um, kind of change gears just slightly here. Um, and, Evan, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and, and tell me, describe heaven for me. You, you talked about hell, and I, I'd like you to take an opportunity in a moment just to tell me what you think about heaven and what you think heaven's like and, and describe that for me. Describe the flip side of that coin. Uh, I don't know much about it. Um, I would assume the flip side is, is eternal bliss. So instead of being absolutely miserable for eternity, you're absolutely content and happy for eternity. And, um, you live with God and that makes you happy. Okay. And there's no, you know, I don't know. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's a, a real, a great description in the Bible. Um, they're, they're kind of cobbled together some things. Yeah. See, to me, what I see in, in what you said, I mean, I think what you said in that second part is absolutely huge and key. Whenever the Bible talks about us being with God, us being with Christ, whether, um, it's in reference to, um, in heaven when we die, whether it's in reference to, um, at the end of eternity once, um, or, or at the end of the earth, once everything's been remade and been renewed, there's always a description in there about heaven being with Christ. The concept is that what makes heaven so great isn't it isn't all the stuff that that people think we get. And, and I've had conversations with so many people that are like, "Well, heaven's basically an eternal amusement park, and heaven's this, and heaven's that." The descriptions we always get of heaven are our prox- proximity to the one who redeemed us, Jesus Christ. And so my question would be. If, if you're not interested in Jesus Christ here on earth, why would you be interested in eternity with him afterward? It, yeah, it's not that I'm not interested in following God. It's that I don't think it's true. Right. So you're not interested in it, essentially. I mean, if No, I if am very interested. True, I just don't think, just like you don't think other religions are true. It's not that doesn't mean you're not interested in following what's true or God. I mean... Trust me, going to eternity in hell, that's the definitely not what I want. Well, but okay, if I believed it were true, trust me, I'd be right with you. Well, but, but the thing is, like, I'm not interested in Islam in terms of what it has to offer. I'm not interested in Buddhism and what it has to offer. I'm not interested in those things and what they have to offer. The thing that is appealing for me is this relationship that I have with the one who who redeemed me, the one who saved me. Right. So what pulled me into all this is because I, I didn't want to take existence for granted. If, if you know, the creator of the universe ha- has a plan for me, ha- has a message for me, I want in. Mm-hmm. But I looked into Christianity and just thought, I don't think this is true. So I can't, I can't trick myself. And, you know, I'm not thumbing my nose at God. I just don't think it's true. I mean, I so, think Nathan, is this what you're trying to say essentially? Is um, and tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Is that hell is essentially existence apart from the presence of of God? Yeah. Uh, of whom Christ is the exact representation for us, and so for God to deny someone eternity in in His presence, um, if they 
have no interest in his presence is something that makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, yeah, that's exactly what does I'm it make to perfect say. sense to you guys? Hell, keeping someone alive for eternity it, to be punished. It doesn't. It doesn't to okay, me. Good. No. And, and I would say that, you know, the the way I was taught uh, theology uh, by, by Dr. Michael Whitmer at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary uh, and, and Art Crawford is that there, there's basically we, we think of kind of a narrative theology, even within systematic theology, which is a four part thing. Creation, fall, and then you have the story of Christ coming, uh, redemption, and then the fourth part is consummation. So creation, and, and again, this is, I know I'm not teaching you something, I'm just, I'm just making a pointer. So creation, everything is created, everything is good. Fall, sin enters the picture, uh, and, and with it, death, sin, hell, etc. Redemption, Christ comes, bears the wrath of the Father, uh, covers our sin, takes away our sin, uh, redeems us, restores uh, in a very real way uh, the relationship that was present in creation, and even better. And then consummation means the return of Christ and all things made new and the last enemy that's destroyed is death, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So of those four categories, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, only one doesn't make sense, and that's fall. And so, and it, by it doesn't make sense, I don't mean it doesn't logically make sense to a Christian. I mean, it's just not the way things are supposed to be. It's twisted. It's taking the good thing God made and turning it and, and, and crumpling it. It's, it's that Romans 1, distorting and suppressing truth. And so something like death, something like hell, if it made perfect sense, it wouldn't be fall. It would, it, it would, it would fall into another category. Um, something, something that makes us say, gosh, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. If it's part of the fall, which is essentially our contribution to the story, it, it's it's not a huge deal breaker for me that it doesn't sit well. In fact, if that category of things, sin, brokenness, the shattering of shalom, sat well with me, that would mean that I, you know, it would be a big problem. I wouldn't have the glory of God in mind. I mean, does that, I know you don't swallow that, but does that make sense? Do you get what I'm saying? Not really. I mean, are you trying to make, let's see, you're saying hell doesn't, I don't understand, does it make sense to you that, I mean, is it logical or loving in any way that we're not talking about Hitler and Stalin? We're talking about ordinary people that had no choice in their being born. And as your theology dictates, they cannot be good enough for God. They automatically will deserve being punished for eternity. I mean, if you're willing to to rationalize that, what could you not rationalize? I mean, you kind of have the, said has said might makes right, or we can't know what you know God's ways. But all we have is our our human brain to to look into this stuff and decide what makes sense. And I, I can't think of anything farther from mm-hmm. uh, making I, sense or being loving. I mean, that's see, just again, I think you've got your, I think you've got your presupposition there that firmly intact. And I, I did find it. Uh, what, what do spots. you mean? Well, hold on, I'll get there. I, okay. I marked a few spots that I would, I would consider begging the question, meaning uh, suggesting that your conclusion as, as kind of the, the premise. Uh, and what I mean by your, your presupposition there is mm-hmm. that, when you say, is this loving, is this good, um, you know, mm-hmm. for, for this to happen, uh, that you're assuming that we should have equal say with God. You're assuming that everything needs to make sense by my categories uh, and, and that you're essentially assuming that the scriptures aren't true because if they are, then the answer is, who are you, O oh man, to answer, uh, to, to answer God? So your, your assumption that the scriptures aren't true leads you to, believe that the scriptures aren't true your assumption that um you you know the the 
your brain is the only thing you have by which to determine truth, that's your epistemology. Uh, that's, that's a presupposition, and I would yeah. challenge that. I would say that the way that I have to determine what's true is not just my brain, but that I have the Holy Spirit of God illuminating the scriptures to me, and I have the revelation of God. Uh, and, and I mean, even in basic philosophy, you have more than one, in, in basic epistemology, you have more than one source of knowledge. Uh, you have even intuition. Um, but I would say that, that as a Christian, we, we teach, Nathan and I believe that we have uh, the Holy Scriptures, which is God's self-revelation. And, and granted, we don't just go, okay, well, then we accept it. Because if we were to do that, we'd accept the Book of Mormon, we'd accept the Bhagavad Gita, we'd expect, accept any, any divine sacred text or whatever. But having put it to the test, we find it to be, unlike you, to be reliable, and therefore we have this source of knowledge that's not just me in my super finite mind um, kind of yeah, looking you, at... Go ahead. You have to use your mind to decide. You said it's an assumption that I don't think Scripture is true. The only way we can come to that... that you're starting with the presumption. It sounds... Well, I thought you were saying you were starting with the presumption that it's true. And then I, you, yes. you kind of went back to my position and said, well, no, we looked at it and decided it's true. No, presuppositionalism says you start with the presupposition that it's true and see if it works. It's basically like getting in a car and starting going down the highway. I mean, if you're going to buy a car, you don't literally take the whole thing apart, make sure every piece is in perfect working order, put it all back together, go, okay, now I'm satisfied, I'll take it. No, you get in the car, you, you take a drive, and you come back and go, everything handles pretty well, I'm in one piece still, it feels like a good deal, you buy it. Yeah, well, all I can say, uh, I came and, to the and Bible wanting it to be true. It, uh -huh, I believe you. Yeah. I, and, I believe and, you. Yeah, I would, and, yeah, go ahead. I would argue that, that uh, you think you did, and, and that <laughs> there was certainly an uh, element, like, again, that Romans 1, that, that suppressing the truth of God, uh, where, where there was a certain amount of I deserve in there, or a certain amount of, uh, I mean, the fact that when you came to the conclusion that it's not true, you turn around and say, I've got to write a book about this and, and you know, really drag this thing, uh, tells me where your heart was, and I'm not trying to make assumptions about you. I'm saying this is what the scriptures teach us about everybody, so I feel safe saying it in this case. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's a hard bridge to cross because I, I clearly don't think scriptures are perfect. We can rely – just because there's a line in the scripture you think you can – assume that, that I didn't really want to be a Christian or, or look at it. You know, I, I just was trying to thumb my nose at God. Um, I mean, there's so much in the Bible that is problematic that, I mean, yeah, this is tough. I mean, do you, when you look at other religions, they're clearly not thumbing their nose at, at, at God. They're trying to follow God. You don't, you don't decide Christianity is true, so I'm going to become a Muslim. I mean, that just doesn't happen. So, I mean, do you think Muslims and Mormons and every other religion, they're really just thumbing their nose at God and, and trying to disobey him? Uh, I would say to a degree that religions that put the onus on the individual to be good enough, that is, in a sense, a thumbing of the nose to God. Sure, if you want to use your, your terminology. Um, and that it's, that it's tragic. Uh, the scriptures teach us that you cannot be good enough uh, of your own uh, volition, your own merit. The scriptures say that our most righteous works are filthy rags in his sight. 
So, so sure, yeah. I mean, and and I know that certainly coming out of a, a liberal seminary and living in the world we live in now, it's very common to hear people trying to talk more politic and and avoid saying things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I mean, the historic Christian position has been uh, this is why the word heathen exists. Uh, yeah. is that there? there is one way. Jesus said that clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone comes to the Father, it's, it's going to be by him, uh, and that any other way is going to lead down the broad road that leads to destruction. So, so yeah, I, I, I would say yeah. that. I mean, I respect that you hold that line because I think there are so – I mean, you can kind of sense it in my book that I kind of resent people that hold this belief but are but beat around the bush. And mm-hmm. and it, it, it is an unpopular uh, position for good reason. I mean, to say everyone else is going to be punished for eternity, yikes. Um, but, it, and that's part of my title, Christianity No Longer Makes Sense. I, I don't know how many Christians that does make sense to today, that that all all the people that don't, you know, have not accepted Jesus will be kept alive for eternity in utter horror. Well, I mean, by definition, I mean, a Christian is one who who is like Christ. I mean, that's that's where they get their title. It's it's from those back in the early church who were living like Christ, teaching the things that Christ taught. And the people around them were like, oh, man, you, you look like this person, you know, Jesus. You look like a little Christ. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, like saying that, you know, I don't know who in Christianity this makes sense to today. Like the reality is denying you know, denying scripture is denying Christ, denying what he taught. You know, somebody might call themselves a Christian who, who doesn't hold to these things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are. I mean, Christianity is one of those things, again, you know, going back to it, when people saw what the disciples were teaching, how they were acting, how, you know, that the fact that they looked like Christ, that's when they, this title came around. I mean, that didn't exist you know, for the first several years of Christianity. This is something that's like, hey, you remind us of Jesus. You remind us of the things he taught, the things he said, the things he did. And so we bestow on you this name, Christian, little Christ. Um, You know, so a little... I I, I think part of what I think, who was was, was whose argument? I'm not sure. You were saying that, you know, basically we don't get to choose with our, you know, what's, what's right. We have our little human brains and I would agree. I, just because I think it's horrendous doesn't mean it's not true. Like I, I wouldn't make that. I don't get to choose what's true, right? If 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 there's a God that created the universe, which I'm totally open to, um, whatever He says goes, right? But my point would be that it's when there's something that outrageously, you know, I would say illogical and and hard to believe. That should be that should throw up huge red flags. That this better be built on, on stable ground for me to, to accept that. And, and that and that's where I go when I look into it and I say, well, actually, this worldview is built on the fact, the idea that we're fallen. And if you ask me, I mean, science has uncovered a, a, a completely different story that is inconsistent with the one Christianity was built upon. So not only do we have this idea in hell, but it was built on something that's that's sort of outdated. If you ask me, I don't I don't think you can you can fit a fall into what we know today about the the, the Earth's history. I was wondering if you could actually elaborate that on a little bit because okay. again, being a science teacher, like I'm always fascinated when people mm-hmm. go to science because as soon as somebody goes to science or assumes that science is the answer to everything and i i don't you know i don't know if you make this claim or anything like that but i have several um 
friends of mine who are atheists who make the claim, you know, I'm a man of science, you know, whatever is there is acceptable, um, and whatever is not isn't, you know, isn't really true. And the fact of the matter is science is a tool. Science is there for use. It has a specific goal and function within our categories of things that we learn. And science's goal is to raise questions, to propose experiments to answer those questions, and then to report what those findings are. And the fact of the matter is you can only scientifically do those things with hard physical data that you have. In order to answer the questions about the origins of the earth, you can't answer those questions scientifically because no one was around to experience those things. Nobody was around to test those things and to continue repeating those experiments and tests. And yeah, so, you, you know how many scientists would completely disagree, would not accept what you say. They would, I mean, it doesn't matter if they accept it or not. It's the truth. That's what the goal of science is. And that's the problem is that well, in our society today, we've tried to take the realm of science and move it into a realm where it doesn't belong or exist. Science cannot Science cannot do a job other than what it is assigned to do. And just because we have people who are trying to do it doesn't mean that that's what should be done. So you don't think science can say anything about human origins? No. It can't because wow. nobody was around to explain them. We have to go to history. We have wow. to start looking at history in order to answer those questions. Okay. So okay, how about, do you guys think evolution and Christian theology are compatible I don't, I don't uh, you know, condemn people who, who hold to that position. Um, no. Certainly not. I mean, I don't think... You think they pull it off, though? Um, you know, I, I go back and forth on it. I, I, I sometimes will... will There's a guy named Peter Kreeft, uh, who's a, a Catholic, Catholic uh, yeah. apologist at Boston College. I think he, he's not, maybe, maybe not there anymore, but um, a, a brilliant philosopher in it with a gift of kind of bringing everything to a very popular level and, and being funny and yet conveying truth. And he often will write uh, articles, uh, which I find a lot better than like the Hugh Ross stuff and some of the things that you reference in the book, um, about how, you know, when, when you look at the odds of evolution happening sans any kind of divine guiding hand, it's, it's beyond astronomical uh, to the point where he would scoff and laugh at you accepting that and say, but we can see, you know, the history of it. Uh, we can see the evidence for it, and so I think this makes it all the more credible that that there's a God uh, that's that's creating a creating God that that has done this in this way. So I think Nathan would say he can't even do that. He's not on solid ground even saying that we can yeah, see that. I, I I don't agree with Nathan on that, but but uh, he, he, I'm in his discipline. If he's talking about science, not you know, he's not in mine, so I'll. I'll let him go. No, what I would say is that there. I think there are evidences that we can look at that point to certain things, but you can't say with certainty this is how it is. And I think that's the difference, where people will try to look at things. I mean, first of all, the whole problem with evolution starting on its own and trying to prove that scientifically is science disproves um, something just spontaneously coming into existence in the first place. The first yeah, I grant that gives me pause. That gives me pause for sure. That's a mystery. Right. The first law of thermodynamics, just it shoots that right in the foot. So if you're going to try to use science 100% well, and not bring in theology or philosophy or history in order to try to explain some of these other things and in order to try to look at something, 
then you run into a deficiency because science cannot explain in that regard the origin. There is no explanation in that regard. Yeah, I, I would. I would think. Sci- I think science can do a lot, and it has done a lot. But I think there are. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem of something rather than nothing. I think that's a fundamentally different kind of question that I would grant to the theists and say I don't think science can really touch that. Um, right. But, and so I that's mean, but, what I was saying, where science can't fully answer that question. We have to delve into other possibilities. What I'm saying is that a person who mm-hmm. says that science is the only possible thing that could ever explain all of these things, they're fundamentally going to be missing other aspects that science just doesn't explain and science can't explain. Science will never be able to overcome that essential problem of the first law of thermodynamics. If you say that you are a person of science and you're going to use science to explain the origins of the earth, science disproves the origins of the earth from that perspective. Unless we completely disregard those laws of physics. So I have to disprove the laws of physics in order to prove how the earth came into existence. But I can't disprove the laws of physics because if I disprove the laws of physics, then I'm shooting myself in the foot when it comes to everything else that science has shown us and taught us. So I either accept that as a truth, an absolute truth, and so this piece is wrong, and so there has to be something else here that science can't prove, and so I have to use something else in order to prove that, which can't be science. I have to use philosophy. I have to use history. I have to use worldview. Does that make more sense Uh, in what I was saying? Yeah, I I would just – yeah, you're just drawing the line in a different place, saying that we can't know anything about our past – I think we have a pretty darn good idea. Um, and if you look at the, I mean, evolution is thoroughly accepted in every university, minus a few very conservative Christian ones, you know, including Catholic universities. Across the globe, across cultures, it speaks with one voice. And I think Christianity is in a very precarious place if the two can't go together. You know, I mean, that, that's a lot for Christianity to, to convince the scientific worldwide community that evolution is not true. Well, first I would say, I mean, I think we need to define evolution. I mean, evolution is I'm a human stand. evolution. Okay. And yeah, I would say that that's a problem because there is no scientific evidence pointing to um, species to the species evolution. The, the world has yet to prove it. The world has yet to produce viable specimens. We have drawings, we have theories, but we have no viable specimens showing the actual evolution of one species to another. We have no physical evidence showing it. We have no scientific evidence showing it. We have theories, but there's no yeah, actual I, physical proof. Can I, uh, I, I want, first I want to real quick ask Nathan a question because I think this is fascinating stuff, which is when have you read the book, and he, he references something in here that I've always found fascinating, which is that we can drill down through layers of ice and see year by year like what the world was like. And I think there's something like four or 500,000 years worth of ice. So, I mean, can we know that that was there and that the world was here that long ago? Um, yeah. Or, I mean, or do you really think that's not possible? No. What I was trying to convey, what I believe science could and couldn't do. No, I think we can know some things. I don't think science limits us from knowing things. I think science, though, is limited. And so for someone to say that science is going to, science has answered all of our questions, science is going to answer all of our questions, I think takes a very narrow view of what science 
uh, or I think it takes actually takes a wide berth and gives more credibility to science than what it actually can do. Science can tell us that those things are there, that you know we have layers upon layers in the earth. Science can tell us you know that we found these things. But ultimately, science can't tell us the history of those things. We have to look at other subjects in order to understand those, those periods, those people, in order to get ideas of what's going on within um, cultures and civilizations that are there. That's not the realm of science. That's not the job of science. Yeah, the job of science is to go ahead and stick my drill down and pull up samples and start testing those samples for things and then give my conclusions for what I find in those samples. But science's job isn't to go in and say, well, you know what? I found the bones of this person and these are the things that I've discovered about this culture and this society and this history. That's the job of another field of study and discipline. And those people who are in that field of study and discipline are very good at doing their job. I think the problem is scientists think that their field is all-encompassing in every area and that they are qualified to answer questions that actually don't fall into their realm and i think you see that uh you see that a lot with sorry to interrupt but i think yeah. i think you see that a lot with uh dawkins where he's what is it um what, what is his actual discipline it's uh his degree evolutionary is in biology evolutionary biology yeah. and yet when you read his books it's like he thinks he's a theologian a philosopher a, right you know a linguist i mean and, and granted people are going to write widely if they have wide interests and it's popular level stuff but i get what you're saying um, I, I, I didn't understand it first, but I, I see what you're saying there. Um, yeah. that there are limits to this stuff. It's not, it's not going to be the savior. If you're looking for the savior, you've got to look somewhere else. Right. And, and so to, to, to answer questions about the origin of the earth, if you're going to look at science, and I'll just, I'll just repeat that real quick, you're going, to, you're going to miss something. Because science at this point in time can't answer that question, and I don't think it's ever going to be answer, able to answer that question without finding a flaw within our understanding of science, which is going to blow up the whole scientific community if that happens. Like, the, the realm of science is to be fixed and steady. You have the laws of physics, you have the laws of, you know, you have all these laws and principles that guide the assurities that we see within our universe. And so if you're going to then break those laws in order to explain the origins of the earth, which is what many people essentially do, many people don't admit that, okay, we have a problem here with the origin of the earth. And so when you do that, you're essentially saying, well, we're going to throw out the first law of thermodynamics and basically say that, you know, we're just going to skip over that, say this is how the world began and move on from there, where if you say this is how the world began, you're throwing out the first law of thermodynamics you're 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 distorting or destroying one portion of science for another and so at some point you have to say okay science can't answer this question so what am i going to to answer that question and the answer to that question comes from our worldviews, our presuppositions the reason why many of those people believe that this is what happened isn't because that's where the science is pointing them to the science is actually pointing in the opposite direction saying no no no, no. that couldn't happen that way and, but they're accepting it as it is because of their worldview and their presupposition. Look, I think there's so much science can tell us. How about this? I think science can pretty confidently tell us that death did not enter the world because of human sin. Death has been around from the beginning. Um, and it's it's a key ingredient to evolution and, and, and how species go extinct and new ones emerge. I mean... 
I mean, I think, I think the Bible clearly got that one wrong, if you ask me. Saying death is a result of Adam's sin. A catastrophic event like the flood actually very easily explains the extinction of species. Okay, so you, th- you think there was a worldwide global flood. Oh, yeah. And, and if you look at um, many different cultures around the world who've never even gotten their hands on the Bible, so do they. I mean, that's a pretty convincing argument when you go around to cultures independent of the Word of God, and there somewhere in their history is in some capacity yeah, there's, there's, a there's flood stories all over. Flood. Yeah. That's, but, I mean, that's not coincidental. Are you, are you a young, so are you a young earth creationist? Um, that is an entirely complicated question. Um, because I, I do believe that, um, there are some things that are missing that people don't quite acknowledge. So first of all, I believe, yeah, six days, the Bible says God created the earth in six days. However, the Bible doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve existed in the garden before the fall of man. I think there could have been a whole swath of time in there that we're not aware of in between that time of creation and his rest and the time that Adam and Eve sinned. And I don't know that Christians necessarily give enough credence to that portion of time within there. Doesn't the Bible tell us how old Adam and Eve were when they died, though? That would limit how long they lived in the garden before the fall. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, we're going into, uh, if you only have, you know, a couple more minutes with us, we're going into a whole lot of um, other stuff that could, you know, blow this conversation so you don't, But you don't greater. think science can, has debunked the view that the, the earth is 6,000 years old? Um. I would say that um, to put an age on the earth is uh, – I, I wouldn't – I'm not comfortable, and I tell my students this, I'm not comfortable putting a specific age on the earth, that I'm not comfortable with that. And I tell them exactly – and again, without going into all the details, um, I, you know, I basically tell them that within that time period that the earth could be a lot older – um, but I also know that based on what um, scientists think, that God could have created Adam and Eve, the whole universe, with age. From the best of our knowledge and ability, you know, to, to look at what the Bible says, that Adam and Eve were created with a certain level of age. They weren't created as infants. So is it so difficult to believe that, that, was crea- that they were created with age, but the rest of creation was created as a quote-unquote newborn? Does it give you pause that so many Christians or conservative Christians are fleeing these positions? And I mean, even reasons to believe. I mean, they're, they're not claiming a worldwide flood because they, they know it's indefensible scientifically. I mean, they're, they're, they I would moved disagree it to, with that uh, highly. I would disagree that I mean, a worldwide flood – I mean, I would disagree with that significantly. But I mean, there's, there's so tons many Christians. of evidences for a worldwide flood. Yeah. There's tons of evidence for a worldwide. It's not convincing to so many conservative Christians. Just because it's not convincing. There's a lot of things that's not convincing to people. It doesn't mean that it's not true. Mount St. Helens, when Mount St. Helens erupted back in the 1980s, it was thought that it was going to take years upon years upon years for everything in that area to regrow and come back to normal. And what do we find within within, um, about a decade? the, The plant life started coming back. The animals started coming back to that area. Every time that somebody makes an argument for, you know, oh, you know, this is going to prove exactly how old the earth is, we find that it actually doesn't. You know, the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon had to have formed over millions of years. And then we start doing um, tests and we start seeing, oh, wait, no, actually a worldwide flood could have caused the Grand Canyon to form 
um, just as easily as, you know, that timeline. Um, again, the Mount St. Helens thing, when we sent people to the moon, you know, those astronauts who were first coming, um, who were first setting foot on the moon were essentially tethered to the landing craft. The reason why they were tethered was because the idea of how much space dust was actually going to be on the moon, um, it was thought to be much greater than that because of the age of the earth. And then they kind of jumped down and they were like, oh, it's not really as deep as we thought it was. Because the age of what they thought it was and what they thought should be there wasn't. So for every argument that somebody has about, oh, look at this piece, I have another piece of information that I can say, well, what about this? How do you explain this? Because according to evolution, this should be true. And again, we're talking about not evolution as in change over time, but we're talking about the differences of you know, the more... Um, Darwinian, you know, interspecies evolution, millions, billions of years, all that stuff. Um, that's, you know, just kind of clarifying that's what we're talking about. But every time, you know, somebody pulls out a piece of it, well, what about this? Okay, well, what about this? There's always an argument back and forth. And so to say with certainty, well, wait a minute, people are abandoning in going in this direction. Okay, well, I don't understand why, because there's also evidence that points over here saying, well, there's a young earth. And this is where I go back and forth and I say, you know what, I, I, I'm not sure where I fall and land on that because I'm not sure what God decided to do in the beginning and how he, how he did it. All I know is that when scripture says, you know, in the beginning, God, that's what I believe, that that first cause was God. Do we have time for me to, to jump in with one more question? I think you guys might be at an impasse on this. Um, yeah. Um, five minutes? I'm pushing. i got to sure, take yeah. my daughter to gymnastics. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Gymnastics. Nice. My son's at karate right now. That's oh, nice. uh, also cool. I just neither here nor there. Wasting time, Zach. Okay. Um, I, I'm wondering what your, your take is on people who have uh, come from a very – kind of hard-hearted agnostic or atheistic side went about trying to create, you know, sometimes with an entire career, um, a, a case against Christianity and then become converts. And I mean, I'm not just talking about like Josh McDowell or people who, you know, seem to have, maybe that's a shtick. Uh, you got Lee Strobel, who was a, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Anthony Fu- flew very famously, uh, one of the most mm-hmm. famous uh, atheists, a brilliant philosopher, I uh, never became a Christian, but did near the end of his life become a theist, uh, which right. was a huge. Or he may be even a deist. What's that? He might have been. A, he might have been a deist. I don't know. I just read his book about a month ago, and yeah. it, it's pretty clear. I mean, he self-identifies as a theist, um, okay. and and I don't even see it as huge like a win for Christianity if someone moves from agnostic to saying, "Oh, you know, I yeah. think I might be a theist." I, I don't care. Um, yeah. Without Christ, that that's no that's no help. But I mean, what do you what do you do with those guys? I mean, do you have to assume? They were either very foolish or they didn't see something you did or, or what? Because it seems like a lot of your uh, argument is I came at this thing wanting it to be true and found it wanting. What about people who came at it not even wanting it to be true and found it overwhelmingly convincing? Look at the world. I mean, there's examples of people switching from every conceivable worldview. I mean, that's just human beings. So there's plenty of people who, who grew up Christian, looked into it, and, and pulled away. There's a bunch of scholars like that. There's, you know, Protestants who went Catholic. There's, you know, people who converted to Islam. I, I, I just, 
it's hard to put weight on that. All I can do is look at the arguments that I see and, and, and say what makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that's the best fair answer. Um, I, I'm wondering why is – it, is it because of the audience you had in mind or why is it that, that uh, you've got Rick Warren and Ken Ham and some of these people with extended block quotes but oh. not you know, John Lennox or John Frame or even Peter Kreeft or somebody like that? It seems like you're giving kind of – you're pulling up our JV team – uh, so that they'll go down easier. <laughs> the earmuffs, Rick Warren. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I use a lot of. I mean, Rick Warren's not a fringe figure, but I mean, no, but I, he's I, certainly I, no theologian. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think what I quoted him saying. It doesn't sound like you guys would disagree with what what he said. This is pretty standard stuff. Um, I mean, William Lade Craig's in there, and I, I dealt a lot with Biologos people who are. I mean, I don't know if you're saying. They're too conservative, or you're just saying they're not academic enough. Uh, I, I'm um, saying that that uh, they're they're halfway to a, a straw man, um, and and I mean, Biologos, okay, you got some brilliant people there, but I mean, I don't fall into that camp, so it, I felt like um, yeah, I, it, I think you'd was, have to point out what quote is not representative of Christian theology. I don't know; it's hard to say. I mean, I used. I don't think I used fringe finger, figures, but um, yeah, we'd have to get into more specifics there. I'm not sure I have time for it. Okay, well, I, I don't saying, think. Yeah, I'm not ahead. suggesting they were fringe people. I'm suggesting uh, maybe they were right, right. too mainstream. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't think any of the quotes I use misrepresent uh, Christian theology. I think I think they underrepresent it in that they they don't make a a, a good case. I would say, suggest it'd be like if I wrote a book. Saying I'm going to tear down evolution and and this kind of sort of scientific skepticism permeating everything in the world, and I just was like, look what Bill Nye has said, and everyone would come up and be like, Bill Nye, you know, he's like Doctor Science, who's not a real scientist but has a bachelor's degree in science, um, and that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be. I don't think that would be. Yeah, I don't think I've done that, but um, we'd have to look at specifics. Okay, I mean. It, I, I, those are two specifics right there. And Which it's one? Rick, the, so Rick Warren, he just he just basically talked about the fall. I mean, that shouldn't be that controversial. Who was sure, the other sure. one? But no, I'm saying Rick Warren, you, you quote the purpose driven life. And the thing that he says, I would not be a big fan of the way he put that. But oh, I mean, that, it, OK, it's not yeah. going to it's not going to you know make me call the guy a heretic or anything. Um, my point is that the, sure. the selection in general of, of who's going to represent kind of the intellectual prowess of, of the opponent uh, is, you know, you're, you're, you're sure. going from the shallow end of the pool. Well, no, the quote you used is where Rick Warren is sort of giving this, this evangelist speech about uh, why you need to be saved. And I, my point is showing how even these mainstream figures are soft-pedaling hell and even hiding it. So that's my point there. That's not an academic point. That's just showing how it's being presented to the public. And Rick Warren is probably the perfect person to put it there because he's got such a huge following. Well, that'd be a big beef I have with Rick Warren. I mean, in that specific situation. So we agree. Yeah, well, and I'm not <laughs> saying that uh, you know, in e each position that I find these quotes, they're the worst one that could be there, or they're or they're dishonest and they're they're not representing Christianity, uh, some form of Christianity. Um, but when you, if you were to line up kind of the uh, sources that you used for where you have landed with your own uh, worldview and epistemology, 
and then the, the sources that you cite for the opposing view, it, it seems like, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls playing, you know, Schenectady uh, junior high B team. Yeah, well, I don't know who you mean there. But, you know, that's something we could get into specifics maybe in another another time. Okay. Well, it sounds like you probably got to get going, and I don't want to, like, mess up your daughter's gymnastics schedule. Uh, so. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we're yeah. uh, well. You know, th- yeah. Thanks for having me on, though. I know these are these are we went pretty pretty hard, kind of some some heavy material. So uh, oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, having a heathen on there. <laughs> I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, yeah, it was a great time. We're just going to go ahead and sign off now, gentlemen. We just rocked the Casbah. These go to eleven.